Welcome back to Ground Up Sermons. This week's sermon reflects on John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. There we find Jesus and his disciples visiting the temple. While there, Jesus becomes enraged by how people are treating his father's house. So he overturns the money changers' tables, casting the money aside, and drives out all the sacrificial animals. I'll use as reflection the movie The Best Christmas Pageant Ever, in which a local group of kids called the Herdmans come to a local church and participate in the Christmas play. Chaos and insanity ensue, but ultimately great depth and new insight is found by all in the Christmas story. That's essentially what Jesus does as well. In the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this insanity, we are invited to consider where the true temple is and just what our role is in caring for that temple. Enjoy today's sermon. It's Lent, and we are working our way to Easter, so I'm going to start with Christmas today. Specifically, one of my favorite Christmas traditions to share with my family, watching the movie, or the made-for-TV movie, rather, the best Christmas pageant ever. Anybody know that movie and or book? A few of you do, some of you are giving me puzzled looks. I am heartbroken. The best Christmas pageant ever is simply just the best. Uh, It was a book uh, first and and then became a made-for-TV movie event. If if you remember uh, what is my favorite TV show of all times, MASH. Remember uh, Hot Lips Houlihan, played by Loretta Swit? She played the mom who directed the best Christmas pageant ever uh, in the movie. So do yourself a favor. It's only like an hour or 75 minutes long. It's not super long. Uh, You can probably find it online if you search for it enough. It is really well worth the look. I love that movie. It's the story of uh, these ragtag, dirty, smelly kids called the Herdmans. And as you might expect, they um, pick on and bully kids at school. They they steal their their, their desserts out of their lunch boxes. And one day, the kids get mad and they say, that's fine, you can take my dessert. Because we get as much dessert as we want at church. Now, this interested the Herdmans. And they said, well, well, how do you get these desserts at, at church? And they said, well, they give them to us. Well, well who's they? Who, who gives them to you? Well, the minister gives them to us. And they said, well, why would the minister do that? And they say, because he's rich. My family always gets a huge chuckle out of that part. So anyways, hearing that there was um, a bountiful amount of dessert to be gotten at church, sure enough, 
the next Sunday, the Herdmans wind up at church. And it just so happens that that is the occasion where they are preparing to begin practice for that year's Christmas play. Now, the lady who had always directed the Christmas play managed to fall and break her leg and was put in traction, so there was no way that she could direct the Christmas play. So it fell to Loretta Switz's character to, for the first time ever, be the first different person to direct the Christmas play in who knows how long. And she has, sitting front and center, a half dozen Herdman kids who managed to position themselves into all of the major roles. Mary, check, yes. Joseph, you betcha. The angel, yep. Wise men, yep. All of that kind of stuff, they get all of the prime parts. And over the course of the movie, you can see the insanity ensue. When the offering plate goes through the congregation, everyone dutifully puts their money in, and when it comes to the Herdmans, they take it out and put it in their pockets. The bathrooms are filled with cigarette smoke. And a few church ladies on the phone observe that all they ever seem to talk about is sex and underwear. But over the course of the movie and the preparations for the play, their Christmas play is more authentic than anyone that they have ever had before. Because the realities of life are far messier than we want them to be. Mary and Joseph probably were dirty and smelly. They probably didn't always look super presentable. And while I'm sure Mary and Joseph probably didn't talk about sex and underwear, maybe their conversations would surprise us as well. I think about the best Christmas pageant ever every time I read this gospel story of Jesus cleansing the temple. Because the two seem so very similar. You see, the temple had been under construction for over four decades. In fact, actually at this time in the story, it was still under construction. It wasn't quite yet finished. And so the, the idea was that if you wanted to be certain that you were interacting with God, that you had had an experience with God, that God had heard your prayer and that God was going to send you blessings, then you had to get up from wherever it was that you were, take a pilgrimage, and go to the temple. And it wasn't the sort of thing where you just walked into the temple and went, all right, check that box. No, you had to provide a sacrifice, and that meant very particular animals. And as you might would expect, uh, a whole business grew up around this. Dave's fantastic temple sacrifice animals. 100% guaranteed to be free from blemish. 100% guaranteed to connect you to God. Of course, you know, if you get all those guarantees, you got to do what? You got to pay for it. It gets expensive. 
But you can't just pay with any old money because, you know, that money that the Roman government that's currently occupying you provides you with, well, you know, that's not exactly good holy money. But wait, that's okay. We've got you covered. We've got a whole other business that popped up called Money Changers. And they would take uh, your dirty, terrible, not very nice Roman money, and they would exchange that for good Jewish money. Of course, they would do this at a little bit of a uh, exchange rate that benefited the money changer and didn't benefit you all that much. Now, it's easy. We can look back on that right now and we can go, well, gosh, that really is kind of a crazy system. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why would anybody do that? That was extortion. That was terrible. That's just, that's no good, very bad, not a good way to do faith type stuff. But for the people of that particular day, that was normal. That's how it works. Of course, if you want to interact with God, you go to the temple because that's the temple and that's where God is. Of course, if you're going to worship God, you need to get a sacrificial animal. How else would you worship God? And of course, you know, you're going to pay for it and you got to exchange money and all that kind of stuff. So none of it seemed problematic to the people of Jesus' day. Except to Jesus. Jesus knew that it was epically missing the point. Jesus, the creator of all of existence, knew that you don't have to go to a particular place at a particular time to worship God. Jesus knew that you didn't have to get a particular kind of animal, 100% guaranteed to be clear from blemish, to worship God. And Jesus definitely knew that you didn't have to spend way too much of your hard-earned money on buying that animal and getting stiffed on a bad uh, uh, rate of getting that money handed over to you. And so not unlike the herdmans, Jesus walked into the temple and upset all of their carefully ordered ways of doing things. I always love, uh, you remember the, uh, the little bracelets that were popular um, probably 20 plus years ago, what would Jesus do, WWJD? I always love seeing the thing, what would Jesus do, uh, dot, 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 uh, overturning tables is a very real possibility. Because that's what he does here. What would Jesus do? Jesus overturned tables. Jesus fashioned a whip and drove all the animals out. Poured all the money out and all that kind of stuff. One of the things I find most interesting about faith lives, and, and I'll just speak for myself, is it's beneficial to me sometimes to keep my faith in this little box over here and keep all my other little boxes separate. In the great TV show Seinfeld, uh, George Costanza once observed that uh, he didn't like the various parts of his lives mixing because if they mixed, what would happen? Chaos would ensue. And maybe sometimes we're a little bit that way as well. 
we have different aspects that make up who we are. We have our church self, we have our work self, we have our family self, we have our friends self, we have our hobby and interest self. And sometimes we're guilty of keeping them all separated. This is over here in this box and I can be this person when I need to be, and then this is over here in this box and I can be this person when I need to be. And yet Jesus recognizes that those divisions, those barrier walls that we set up in our own lives are not the way we're called to be. Rather, God is not contained to a temple that takes 46 plus years to build. God is found everywhere in every moment of life. Going to fetch the water for the morning chores down at the local well can be just as holy in God's eyes as taking a pilgrimage to the temple and buying a sacrificial animal and sending the smoke up to God. We oftentimes like our carefully ordered lives. And yet as the herdmans, and as Jesus remind us, the reality is far messier than perhaps we'd like it to be. So the challenge for us is to do that hard work of Jesus in cleansing the temple, taking the temple of our own lives. Remember Paul said that your body is a what? Is a temple. And so the work of Jesus of cleansing the temple isn't simply just isolated to one event in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but the work of cleansing the temple is a work for you and for me today and tomorrow and every day. So, what money changers are in your life? And hint, they don't actually have to be money changers. It can be anything. This is metaphor here. What sacrificial animal salespeople reside in your temple? What unfair systems and practices live in the temple that is you and the temple that is me? And how can we follow that example of Jesus and do the hard work of wrestling with what it means for us to be a temple of the Holy Spirit not only when we find ourselves here in this place, but wherever it is that we go. Recognizing that the temple of God gets set up at work and at play, at home, with our family, off with our friends, even, yes, at our hobbies. So my friends, the... Herbmans have done their work. 
Jesus has done his, so now I invite you to consider in what way you need to cleanse the temple that Jesus has entrusted you with. Amen. In today's sermon, we were invited to consider that God is not found in isolated places, only to be found here in no other place. God is not contained by buildings built of stone, but God is everywhere, and most certainly God is residing in us, what Paul later describes as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus cleansed the temple in today's text, so we are invited to join with Jesus in cleansing the temple of the Holy Spirit that is us. In Christianity, we oftentimes consider this to be the interior life, working hard on all that God has given us. Martin Luther was a practitioner of this. Through prayer and devotion, scripture reading and caring for others, he committed to cleansing the temple of the Holy Spirit that was him and invited others to do so. So that is our work that we are invited to do today as well, to consider how we can make ourselves the most properly cleansed temple of the Holy Spirit, able to love God and love our neighbor. Thanks for listening today.